Good morning. Peace be with you. It's a beautiful day out there starting to warm up. I hope you have a joyful day and some plans to go with it or maybe just plans to do no plans. It's all good. We uh, had a uh, rather large event today that uh, Karen Wilson uh, spearheaded and managed the entire time. Uh, we had live screening come here. Uh, it was an outreach to the community for people to come and uh, do various scans and tests to maybe indicate health or areas that could use improvement. And I would like to recognize Karen right now um, for that because she worked on this. These just don't happen. For many months, she worked for it, planning it and organizing it. And then she was there all day yesterday, all day, and all day. And she could have been at home swimming with her grandchildren and her husband in the backyard. And so thank you for that, um, Karen. And, and um, it matters, and thank you. And, and, and this church is full of people that, uh, that uh, sacrifice uh, time. Uh, in order to help their neighbor. Yes, Louie. Ninety-one. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Louie. Thank you, Louie. And it's good that you spoke up because today is a very special day for Louie. It shows that she's devoted and she is patient and she is long-suffering because, <laughs> sit down, okay, he's the president, he can do that to me. I'm more afraid of her than I am you, Daryl. This is their 35th wedding anniversary today. <laughs> Praise God. Awesome. What a beautiful witness to um, love and, and togetherness and thank you for that and Thank you for sharing with us. So that is a, a wonderful thing to celebrate. So when we uh, share the peace, uh, I don't know if they need any advice, but share the peace and congratulations. Let us now stand in our opening hymn this morning is Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee on page 551.
We come together this morning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are opened and all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are our nature's sins Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his son to die for you, and for his sake, he forgives you all of your sins. And as your called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of love, and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia. Amen. 
The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, in your deep compassion, you rescue us from whatever may hurt us. Teach us to love you above all things and to love our neighbors as ourselves. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. The first reading this morning is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 18 verses 1 through 5, and then chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. And this can be found in the Pew Bible on page 183. The book of Leviticus immediately follows Exodus. And what's going on is before the Israelites enter the promised land, Moses is uh, given instructions to pass on to the Israelites. And you know, Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land, but he sends people forward at God's command, and designates the Levites as the leaders. The leaders, Levites have a tough job because the Israelites spent 40 years in the desert because they just couldn't seem to follow God's rules. So the Levites are credited eventually with coming up with like 603 more rules to keep the Israelites from not failing to follow the first 10. So they're probably the first legislators, they're probably the first lawyers, and they're um, definitely the first priests. So, Leviticus chapter 18, beginning with the first verse. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time to pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. 
I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We will read Psalm 41 responsively, which is printed in your bulletin. Psalm 41. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. I say, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me. I have sinned against you. My enemies say to me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely, or else gather slander, and then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. May you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The epistle this morning is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And this can be found in your pew Bible on page 1831. This epistle is the third letter of Paul. He's in prison once again in Rome, and he's writing to the people of Colossae, and the people of Colossae, um, like many, have drifted away from believing Christ is the end all to sacrificing for their sins. So they want something else, something maybe more tangible, and they start to follow false teaching and praise angels. So Paul is writing, but along with Timothy, he's writing to the people of Colossae. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you and for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. 
For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of our Lord and praise him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is indeed from St. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1612. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, Je- to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? The expert answered, love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who? is my neighbor. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn 
and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said to him, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. I am grateful for brothers and sisters in Christ that speak truth into my life and into your life. I am always reminded of the verse that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Have you heard that before? And there's a man that this last week helped to give me some insight with his expertise in the Old Testament. His name is Chad Bird, and he shared this parable that I'd like to share with you right now. Oftentimes, we come across people and teachers and people that are maybe outsiders that don't know Scripture, and they tend to or sometimes do rip the context out of the words that they speak from. The parable of the Good Samaritan has historically and often is discounted down to a morality story, a tale. It has been relegated to the sophistication of a children's Sunday school lesson. It's oversimplified. You know the story. You've heard it before. If we look deeper by using what the story meant, if we look deeper into understanding what this story meant to the original hearers of the story, then it does take new meaning, and it gets vastly deeper, and it has a thread woven in it that weaves into your walk and my walk as children of the living God. It is woven into the very fabric of Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. I'll show you how Jesus uses or combines the language of Hosea chapter 6. There's only 11 verses in that. 
And in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, specifically verse 15, you see, Jesus uses the Old Testament with these experts. And having heard this parable, having been experts in theology in the Old Testament, they should have understood what Jesus was saying to them. It was not a morality story. Jesus shows from the Old Testament scripture and focuses on an outsider who becomes the one who engages the one in need of mercy. He uses an outsider who models divine, the divine activity of showing mercy. The dialogue with Jesus and the expert of the law, we, we hear that the expert is asking him a question not to learn, but to trap. He has evil intent. He is testing Jesus and his theological chops, his knowledge, perhaps to trap him in a in a heresy. He is, and actually, as we know, testing the Word who became flesh, the Word incarnate. We can look at this and kind of chuckle and say, good luck, pal. He asks Jesus a question, and Jesus answers him with another question. (laughs) Boy, is that frustrating to you? The only time that it's really frustrating has been as a parent. But anyway, I divulge my, or uh, I'll move along. You guys don't appreciate that. Jesus answers him with another question. The expert gives an orthodox answer. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. Jesus uh, asks him, what do the scriptures say? His question is, Jesus, what must I do to inherit or to Well, yes, inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, what does the Scripture say? And in a very orthodox, I can almost see his shoulders square back as he quotes Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God. Right? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Right? Ooh, good job. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know if that was common, but I can see him puffed up in himself. Jesus' answer to that is this. (laughs) Great! Go and do that, and you'll live. You will be saved. Does anyone here think that that's the way that the expert in the law lived his life? Did he love his neighbor? I don't know. That's why he had to ask one more question to further justify himself. He knew the law. He's sensing that he's going to get caught outside of the law, but he asked this question. And who is my neighbor? And that's really a common thing for people, even us. How far can I go to that edge? 
How much over the speed limit can I go and not seek punishment or find punishment? There's a rule of thumb. Do not quote me when you get pulled over for this. Nine is fine and ten you are mine. That doesn't always work, but that came straight to me from a California Highway Patrolman's mouth. And so the expert answering a question of the law by giving more law, you and I know that the law cannot give life. It brings only condemnation, right? Does the law give life? No. No, only condemnation. Can we follow the law perfectly? No. No, we can't. So Jesus' answer of do this was really uh, convicting because he can't do it, and nor can you and nor can I. So the question that he asked and what he's hoping to find the answer is how broad of a definition, a definition of my definition can be who is my neighbor? Because this expert in the law is hoping Jesus is going to say, well, your neighbor is your Jewish brothers. And you go, bingo. I love my Jewish neighbors, my Jewish brothers and sisters. He may have even loved proselytes. Those would be Gentiles that had converted to Judaism. But how about the people that are not neighbors? How about Greeks? Would this expert in the law have loved a Greek? Would he have loved a Roman? He certainly wouldn't have loved a Samaritan. Why? Well, their own writings, their own theology, rather self-made theology, little g, God, was that they didn't love those outside the Jewish faith. They were to be hated. They were enemies of God. In fact, we know that Jewish custom and, and as Jesus was being followed and, and, and tested and, and, and reported on, that eating with a Samaritan was uh, tantamount of eating with pigs. He's eating and drinking with sinners. So anyone outside of the Jewish faith, anyone outside of being a Jew would be hated. And the Samaritans would most obviously be excluded. That's why it's astounding that Jesus used him. So how many people am I to love, he was asking, and Jesus gives him a story. The story is a, a guy that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a 17-mile trip. And one of the things about traveling along this road is that the travelers can see a long distance forward and a long distance back. And that is important later as I unfold this for you. So the Samaritan is traveling, and we read that he is robbed and beaten and left half dead. He is naked. 
Now, he's near death, and he cannot speak. So he doesn't have an accent. He doesn't have a certain way of putting together his sentences that would identify him. He is laying along that road when a a priest comes. And now the priest... has been coming from Jerusalem to go to, Jer- to Jericho. And, and, and when we hear that the priest walks along the other side of the road, you can't help but think, what a jerk. How unloving. How could he do that? Well, he'd been in Jerusalem after a two-week tour of duty. You see, back in that time, not all of the priests lived in Jerusalem. They lived in other areas. And so he was in Jericho. And so for two weeks, he would go and do his priestly duties at the temple in Jerusalem. And then he would come home to his family, to his home. Is that opportunity calling? So if he passes, or rather he stops by this man, there, there's some danger there. The obvious danger is, is that maybe the robbers are still around. Maybe he could be a victim. That's a possibility. Who would want to be attacked again? But really, what probably, what motivated this man was that he's a priest. He just left the temple. He is ceremonially clean, and there are laws that dictate the way that he behaves, the way that he travels, the way in who he engages people, and it does not include getting near or touching a dead body. And he sees this person half dead. That's that's near dead. That's not talking. He's not clothed. He's naked. That's another no-no for his laws. And if he were to go to that person and get too close to him, he would become ceremonially unclean. Well, what does that mean? It means he's got to go back the way he came, back to Jerusalem to get ceremonially cleansed. Not only that, he has to answer in embarrassment the question of why would you get so close to a dead body? You know better than that. Not only that, he wants to go home. He's going to be hungry, but he's unclean. He can't eat. They call it, he can't eat the tithe or take the tithe. That's, that's what was given to him by the people. He can't do anything. And so he justifies walking on the other side of the road. Do you understand that? Do you understand what it meant to the people hearing this story from Jesus? Do you understand that the expert of the law would understand? Well, of course not. You just said he was a Samaritan. All right, moving along, the Levite comes by. And the Levite, traveling on this road, would have known, had he seen them, and I'm assuming he did, 
that that was a priest that was up ahead of him. He could see all the way up there. He knew how the, tree, the priest traveled. He knew what he looked like. And he sees the priest walk on by, the Levite. Now, there's a hierarchy in, in the society. The priest is up here. Second is the Levites. And down below here is all the common folk, you and me. And so he would be looking at the big guy, the expert, the holy one, representative, and he walked by, why would I stop and do other than what he would do? If it's not important to him, it's not important to me. There must be a good reason that that man walked by. So why would I help that guy and he didn't? And then comes along the Samaritan. And I most misspoke just a minute ago. Along comes the Samaritan, along the same road, probably saw this passing along of this person in need. The Samaritan. The origin of the Samaritan is a little bit fuzzy, but as near as um, it can be explained is that there was a time in the 18th century when Assyria had conquered northern Israel and, and, uh, and had taken the people out and, and trapped them. And then they filled the place with the local people. And that's, uh, those people in the area brought in their own gods and they combined it with uh, Jewish custom and faith. And so the, in a combination, uh, they were somewhat Jewish, but somewhat pagan in, their, in the way they did it. In fact, one of the things that separated them from the Jews was that they had a temple on Mount Gerizim rather than the Temple of the Mount in, in Jerusalem. That's, that's heresy. And they only uh, recognized the first five books of the Torah. And those first five books of the Samaritans were, were highly edited in order to include their own understanding and include their own uh, gods within it. How human is that? And so these people were definitely the enemy and the outside of the good Jewish people. But what do we see? We see the Samaritan. He comes and he cares for the man. He binds his wounds. He pours oil on him. He puts him on his own animal, his own beast of burden. And not only that, he takes him into town and he takes care of him, giving the innkeeper two days wages and promises to come back and pay him whatever he owes. Earlier I mentioned that I would share Hosea uh, 6 and 2 Chronicles. You see, when Jesus is telling this parable, and the expert of the law would have recognized this, Jesus invokes Hosea 6 with the same kind of language. The kind of language that he uses from Hosea 6 and then this parable is the words of binding up. Go ahead and look at it after the service. The words that he combines in here are pouring on. 
the words that we find in this parable and also in the sixth chapter of Hosea, band of robbers. And we also hear about priests acting evil, acting badly. Oh, this expert of the law, he understood what Jesus' meaning was, and it wasn't a morality story. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 15 specifically, it talks about four Assyrians, the ones that conquered northern Judea, the ones that took the people away, and as they were taking them away, a prophet came upon them and spoke to them, and four Assyrians stood out and took pity, had mercy on these captives, and they clothed them from their booty that they had taken. They put sandals on their feet from what they had just stolen. They fed them, and they poured out on them oil. And so here's what it's all about. When the expert of the law asks his replies to the question, which of, you, of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert said it, the one who had mercy on him. He didn't, ask, he didn't identify who was the neighbor. He identified which one acted as a neighbor to the one in need. And here's how it ties into your walk, my walk, and Christ and him crucified. That is that Jesus is the one that comes upon a body that is broken, upon a, a, a life that has been robbed and beaten and is half dead. And Jesus is the one that comes and binds up that one. And Jesus is the one that pours out his spirit on the dead. And Jesus is the one that pours out wine. And Jesus is the one that was the neighbor to you and to me in our baptism when we met him and he, well, when he met us. When the words and the little faith of the person being baptized are combined with the Holy Spirit, we are saved. We are clothed. We are having his blood and his mercy and his Holy Spirit poured upon us, giving us life. He takes us into his house, the church, where people tend to us. You tend to each other. I tend to you, and you tend to me. In the inn, radical idea to the Jews. How about if I just love this certain amount of people, Jesus says, now as his arms were stretched out, as his arms were stretched out for the whole world, 
not just the ones that are in, the whole world. And again today we will celebrate Jesus, his providing for us. Once we were dead, now we are alive, and he feeds us his body. And he pours out his blood to pay a ransom for you and for I that we couldn't have paid ourselves. We are the one who's been robbed and, lay, and once were laid there dead. He is the Samaritan that comes and wraps us in his mercy. And we get to stay with him and invite others to know the one who pours out his mercy in abundance. One last thing. Has anyone here ever seen a shot glass? It's okay, you can admit it. You probably heard of one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Got a collection. Um, there's a story, another parable. Here's a Christian with a shot glass. And in that glass is God's grace, or so he thinks. And he doesn't want to use it too much, too fast, because he has a shot glass. But he's standing at the beach. And behind him is an ocean of God's grace. And he turns around and then he understands. I got more than a little bit of God's grace. You've got more than a little bit of God's grace. You've got a whole ocean. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us now confess our faith to the words of the Apostles' Creed found on page three of your bulletin. I believe in
let us pray to the Lord for the sake of all people in need, and that as the redeemed of the Lord, we may know and love the law and walk in its ways to the glory of God, who hears our prayer. Almighty God, you have given us your word so that we might know your ways and live in obedience to your commands. Deliver us from the evils that we have done and by the grace of your forgiveness, help us to live according to you and to your commands and give glory to your holy name. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, you have shown us your mercy in your Son, Jesus Christ, who became our good Samaritan to save us from all evil and death. Give us such a compassionate heart that we may not be blind to the needs of others, but show to all your mercy and love. Bind up our wounds and send us forth to bind up the wounds of others with the healing balm of your gospel. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, You have sent forth ministers in your name to proclaim your saving gospel and thus deliver the sinners from darkness into your kingdom. Bless all pastors and church workers in their service to you, that they may be faithful in every responsibility placed upon them for our sake. Give us a willingness to hear the counsel of your word, to correct our errors and repent of our sins. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, you make all things work together for your goodwill and purpose. Bless the delegates and the leaders, those in our government. Guide them, especially our President Donald and our Governor Gavin, Cause them to seek to govern in a way that is pleasing to you and good for your people. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, you hold in your hand all the might of man. Deliver our nation from our enemies. Bless all those elected and appointed to serve us in this government. And protect those in the armed forces the police, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Please make peace among the nations and bring to nothing the plans of all who promote hate and violence. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, because of the love you have for all the saints, we pray to you to heal the sick Relieve the suffering, comfort the grieving, and give peace to the dying. Especially, we name before you all those who are suffering right now. Many have spoken out loud. Others are known only to your heart. We pray that you strengthen them all by your power. Help them endure this time of trial. Help them bear the good fruit of faith even in their affliction. Lord, in your mercy. 
Almighty God, by your mercy, we are heirs of a great inheritance and stand in a long line of those who have loved you and have known the delight of your favor. Accept our thanksgiving for the faithful who went before us and bring us at last with all of them into your eternal presence in the marriage supper of the Lamb that knows no end. Lord, in your mercy, and Almighty God, you have been faithful to us, us who deserve none of your mercies. Lead us to receive them with grateful hearts and to be faithful unto death that we may receive the crown of everlasting life. Hear us in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, through whom, with whom and in whom we all honor and glory, both now and forever. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us share the peace. Will you please stand?
Please pray with me. Blessed are you. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right and salutary that we should at all times and in all places offer thanks and praise to you, O Lord, Holy Father. Through Christ our Lord, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. And so, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks. And then he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and drink. This is the new covenant, my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For we know that as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, that we proclaim Christ's death, his resurrection, and his glorious coming again. Let us now pray the prayer that Jesus taught to us. Our Father, In his mercy, Jesus comes to our rescue as we once were naked and near death. He binds up our wounds and he feeds us from his body and from his blood. And he is taking us one day to be with him forever. If your confession is that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and I know it is, then come the table is prepared. You may be seated and the ushers will bring you forward.
please stand. It's a joyful day for the Becks and for many of us. It's also bittersweet for others. And, and as we look to our right and our left and we see our neighbor, I pray that we look at them with eyes like Christ would. Only we don't know what struggles they have, what hurts are inside. But it doesn't matter as long as we treat them with love the best that we can. Not perfect like Jesus, that's his job. But with love and acceptance, we can do that. I'd ask also for your prayers, a little personal. Um, today is, would have been our son Graham's 20th birthday. And uh, we rejoice and know where he is. But we also mourn what could have been, and we miss him. So I'd appreciate that. Now the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our closing hymn is, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet.